You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast. Everybody, episode 184 of Besiktas International's The Black Eagles Podcast. I am your host, Sinan Sporting, live from New York City. That's right. Um, survived the floods. Actually, what's, what's interesting is uh, I heard from a number of listeners on Twitter who expressed concern. Uh, and to be honest, it was like the first I had even heard of there being sort of problems here in the city. So, shouts to you folks. Uh, thank you for your concern. And uh, sure enough, I'm safe. In fact, I'm recording. Uh, we didn't have power outages or anything. So, I don't know where uh, the people were that were hit hard here. But definitely uh, heartfelt um, you know, shouts out to those who have been impacted uh, by Hurricane Ida or whatever it was. I think it was whatever was left over of Hurricane. It must have been terrible down in New Orleans. But anyhow, um, let's let's cut to the chase, shall we? Um, so, so much to talk about. So this episode, everyone will notice, is A, incredibly early, and B, not only is it early, but it's fairly ambitious insofar as we don't even have a match to talk about, right? Well, ah, that's, well, you're wrong for those who may be are unaware, we, we do in fact have a match to talk about. We won't really do too much of that, but um, yeah, we played Umrani Espor in a friendly match, so that's fun. <clears throat> kind of shrewd business in a sense. Khan and I both agreed that uh, Besiktas did not have enough friendlies this season to prepare for the, for the you know, serious season that was upcoming. Uh, on many fronts, and uh, so yeah, you know, to utilize this international break in that way and schedule a friendly is certainly uh, smart, well received, could be vital for a lot of the guys who are on the fringes of the squad as far as proving what they've got, maybe getting rotation minutes and all that, and, and for some of the older guys to, to get their legs warmed up for the uh, huge season incoming. It's already begun, in fact, right? Um, so yeah, I'll talk about that briefly, and then of course, today's real focus is, you know, this is a transfer special. This is the transfer roundup. This is it. Um, we're done. No more transfer talk now, and we're going to really wrap it up well. We've got some experts from around the globe uh, who are, who've come in to, um, to help us here, to help us unpack some information about two of our biggest transfers, um, Alex Teixeira. And, uh, of course, Nishibatshuayi. We've got um, Andrew excuse me, of the Zoria Londonsk podcast. Um, the sort of hallmark Ukraine football podcast for anyone who's really interested in Ukrainian football. Um, he's our sort of resident expert as far as Alex Teixeira goes. And, um, of course, massive shouts out to Khan Bayazit, the Khan. Um, for for interviewing Andrew and, and getting us all the latest, all the lowdown on uh, Alex Teixeira. And then, finally, he got Tim Vilant um, to talk about Nishi Batshuayi. Um, Tim Vilant is of the Kick Rush podcast and uh, documentary maker for Belga Sport. So, um, yeah, I'll give all the information as far as Twitter following and all that at the end of this after you hear from them. But uh, certainly, again, thanks to Khan for getting these, these experts to talk about two of certainly our biggest transfers of the window. And, and, and going into this episode, we thought they would sort of definitively be the two biggest transfers of the window. And yet, somehow, they've managed to be slightly overshadowed, I suppose you could say. Um, perhaps only insofar as... Uh, 
that's just people focus on the most recent transfer rather than it being the most important. You, I mean, he's certainly up there, but uh, yeah, Miralem Pjanic, for anyone who is not aware, has signed with Besiktas. It's a loan, um, so it's not exactly him signing. It was more his club loaning him out to us, but he uh, eagerly um, is, is making the journey to Istanbul to join us for this season. There was talk of Mohamed Elneny, of course, and Jedson Fernandes, you know, all of these names coming up till the last day, and again, out of nowhere. And this is where this board has been so excellent. They pull a rabbit out of the hat, and we've got Miralem Pjanic for a season. Um, you know, this guy was bought for 60 million euros like two years ago by Barcelona, so I don't think... Um, I don't think this is going to be a buyout option type scenario for us, but... I mean, who knows, maybe he likes being with the club enough that he wants to stick around a little, a little bit more for his next loan spell, and then, you know, perhaps down the road it turns into something long-term. We've seen these things work out, right? That's sort of what we're banking on with Mishibachuai, and of course you'll hear plenty about that from Khan and Tim Vidant. Um, but so yeah, let's quickly talk about the Umrania Sport match, just because uh, it's worth mentioning. Um, the starting lineup, Emre Bilgin in goal, because of course Ersin Destinoli was with the under-21 side and Mert Gunak with the, the full national team, Turkish national team. Um, Serdar Saci and Francisco Montero uh, started on the back line for us with, interestingly here, Fabrice Nsakala and Nijib Oysal on the flanks of our defense, Mehmet Topal, Ozan Uzyakup and John Bozdoan all starting in the center of our midfield and Georges Kavan and Kudu and Gokan Torea on our wings with Guven Yalcin up front. So a very interesting squad here, certainly. Uh, lots of interesting names that people would want to you know, see how they did and all that. Uh, I'm not going to go deep into this except for briefly just talking about... Um, who scored, and then giving you some nice stats to round it out with. But basically, um, Besiktas won 4-0. Mehmet Topal opened the scoring in the 38th minute. Guven Yalcin uh, extended the lead to two in the 49th minute, in the, in the second, early in the second half. Gokhan Ture extended to three in the 51st minute. And then Guven Yalcin with a brace uh, in the 57th minute, giving Besiktas the 4-0 lead, which they would hold until the end. Um, they would have 62% possession, so that's solid, obviously. Um, six shots on target to their four, um, five shots off target to their five. So, you know, Umrania was actually somewhat active in our side of the field somehow. You don't necessarily like to hear that, but we did, uh, we held them off for a clean sheet. A young keeper, Amadea Bilgin being the man in charge there. Yeah, and, and that, that's it, basically. I'm not going to do any um, solo stats, just because they're not really available, to be honest, um, as one might imagine. Um, obviously, Guven Yalcin scoring twice is momentous, is noteworthy. Um, and supposedly, John Bozduan really impressed in this match. I'd like to tell you that I watched it. I didn't. I missed it. It was on at 10 a.m. here, and I was actually way late. I was, um, well, it's a long story. I won't go there, but news to come as far as upcoming podcasts. Um, but so, yeah, I, I missed this, and I've, I saw the highlights on YouTube. Uh, but, yes, yeah, supposedly John Bozdoan was really solid for us in the midfield, uh, and that's something we'll obviously want to look out for. Um, he is the newest sort of official transfer prior to today. He's a 20-year-old who we got from Schalke on the cheap, to be honest. So, um, you know, if he's good, that's that's fantastic. It, it could be like the Ozan experience, but maybe this time we sell at the right time uh, and, it, and it becomes sort of a, a nice thing for us, huh? <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I guess, look, what else is there to really say about the match? Um, not a ton, except... I will mention briefly that Valentin Rosier came in as a sub later on in the match and seemed to have come off with a bit of an injury at some point. Hopefully he's okay. That's certainly something to look out for. Um, you don't want to see that guy being injured because our backup is still Nejib Uysal at the moment, having loaned out <coughs> um, Bilal Jelan or 
you know, I'm not that he was necessarily the de facto backup anyway, I suppose. Uh, but so yeah, uh, Rosier. Hopefully, it's not a serious injury. Luckily, we have, he'll have a little time to to rest anyhow, since we don't have a match this weekend. Um, but so yeah, that's one thing to look out for. But besides that, that's all I really have to say about the Umbrani Espor friendly match experience, if you will. Um, very briefly, I guess I, I'll I'll wrap up my segment of this podcast by. Um, mentioning, so yeah, we got Mira, Miralem Pjanic from Barcelona on a loan. Um, for much of the day, it was being reported that we were going to pay two and a quarter million. Um, uh, that much of his salary, you know, he's, he's making like six and a half for Barcelona. Uh, and then later on, when it was finally reported officially, it, it turned out to be two and three quarters of a million. So um, a lot of people were disappointed by that. I think perhaps just because it was a, lot, it was a bit higher than what had initially been reported. But really, um, staying under three million for a guy of this this fellow's stature, um, we're not locked into it by any stretch, right? It's a loan, so if don't, things don't really work out that well, or, or if it's something that we find we can't really afford very comfortably, we let him go at the end of the season. No, no harm done, no foul. Um, we had, I guess, I mean, for the Champions League, certainly it'll be better to have someone, a, a station above Sali Uchan. Uh, but then I guess you have to really consider the long Turkish Super League season, because the league is still expanded. Um, we have uh, a definite, like, fairly large number of, of Champions League matches, thanks to the you know, automatic group stage entry. Uh, we have the Turkish Cup, right? So um, there's going to be a lot of matches to go around. Uh, I think everyone will get opportunities. You know, already coming out of the break, we're going to have our first mid midweek match of the season. Um, so we're coming back on Sunday, September 19th. Um, I'm sorry, that's not accurate at all. Uh, we're coming back on Sunday, September 12th um, to host Yeni Malatyaspor, and then. Again, that following Wednesday, boom, we're right in the thick of the Champions League, hosting Borussia Dortmund. And then Sunday, September 19th, we're on the road in Antalya, a little beach vacay. But then the following Wednesday, September 22nd, we're hosting Adana Demirspor, who, you know, shouldn't be walkovers anymore, um, all things considered. So, you know, from then on out, it's almost boom, 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 midweek because of all the Champions League. So, yeah, again, I, I, I'm not at all concerned about guys getting the opportunity to play. Let's hope everyone does well in their role and, and it's uh, more of a headache than um, maybe we anticipate. Obviously, I think when you think of Alex Teixeira, Miralem Pjanic, and Josef de Souza in our midfield, that's, I mean, on paper, arguably, maybe, um, that's the best midfield in Turkish Super League history. And, and in my day, uh, I think that probably goes to, you know, previous to this, um, Alex, Steven Apia, and um, Mehmet Aurelio of Fenerbahce from, you know, a few years back. Um, and I think you could say it certainly on paper, and this all has to pan out on the field, so, you know, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but on paper... You could argue, right, like the Alex, perhaps they have the upper hand as the better Alex, maybe. That remains to be seen, too. But um, certainly Miralem Pjanic is, uh, you know, much higher rated player on the global stage than Apia was. Um, you know, a 60 million euro contract to Barcelona is, is a much higher profile than, I mean, frankly, than we, we see in the Super League. Um, we're not talking about like 10 years ago or even five years ago, right? This is just a couple of years ago. So, um, again, on paper, he should be the better player, and that remains to be seen on the pitch. I mean, he's been very good on the pitch. Don't, like, don't get me wrong. I think we're all excited about Pjanic because of what we've seen on the field already. Um, and it's just a matter of can he reproduce his best form for Besiktas alongside Alex Teixeira and Josef de Souza. And so that's the last piece Josef de Souza versus Mehmet Aurelio. I'm going to give the edge to Joseph, just being that he's played for the Brazilian national team relative to Mehmet Aurelio's um, being Brazilian, but having to, you know, join the Turkish side to get that NT experience. So, I mean, that's a superficial way of viewing it, obviously. But, I mean, I said in the last episode that Joseph 
is probably the best defensive midfielder in, in my history of watching the sport um, as far as coming back and mopping up for the back line and just supporting us defensively from that position and not giving away clumsy, careless opportunities to the opposition to give them the chance to sort of square up perfect crosses. Or, you know, this was a big problem of ours for years. Uh, certainly for most of the years I've been watching Besiktas. So to have someone back there who, who gets that job done has been lovely. Um, so, yeah, I, I think certainly two out of three we win there. And I think the Alexes are, are close, probably. And again, a lot, it all remains to be seen. The two out of three of these pieces for our midfield are, are brand new. And of course, with Pjanic, maybe just for a year, even still. So, anyway, I think we'll have more to say about Pjanic. I'll, I'll let Khan do a, you know, hashtag Khan's Corner, um, perhaps for the next episode. Uh, and he can talk about Pjanic, or um, maybe he can find someone to interview about him. Um, maybe I can even. I mean, I've been active now trying to find um, some preview episodes for the upcoming Champions League draw that we all know who we're facing, right? Dortmund, Sporting, Lisbon, and um, Ajax. Ajax, right? Ajax. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be appearing on some other podcasts to tell them about Besiktas, and I'm also going to have them appear on our podcast to tell us about what we can expect to see from them. So that should be fun, a little exchange of, uh, of, of the podcast, so to speak. Um, keeping you guys... The most informed, keep you folks, pardon, uh, the most informed football fans in the world. Certainly the most infam- in, uh, informed Besiktas fans in the uh, the whole Besiktas multiverse. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of fun episodes coming up, previewing our rivals in the Champions League, um, perhaps another transfer episode, which I, I, I just said this would be the last. But I mean, you know, Pjanic is a pretty big deal. I'll leave it up to Khan if he wants to find someone to interview or if he just wants to say a few words of that himself. But given that it's just a one-year loan, maybe he doesn't want to go all in. Um, fair game, to be honest. But anyway, he's certainly done more than enough work here. Uh, and in do- and so let me just cut to the chase. Um, first of all, again, Andrew Todos. Todos? I don't, don't want to mispronounce his name. But Andrew of the Zoria London Squad podcast uh, is here with Khan. To talk about Alex Teixeira, folks. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Black Eagles podcast. Today, we are doing a very special episode and we are looking ahead at one of our key new signings, Alex Teixeira. And joining us right now is Andrew Todos, Ukrainian football journalist, somebody who's, of course, been following the Ukrainian football for um the past uh <laughs> decades i imagine um uh, andrew thank you very much for joining us and uh giving us some of your insights on uh, what we uh, may come to expect of uh, alex hello yeah thanks for having me very interesting um to chat about alex they especially seeing as it last season if i believe he was linked with a potential return to ukraine nothing materialized and hey ho here he is and off to Besiktas. Were you, were you surprised by the news that he uh, ended up signing with Besiktas? Not really, because, well, I think the biggest surprise was when he moved to China in the first mm. place. And everyone was tipping him, you know, for a £40 million pound move to Chelsea. I think Juve were in for him. Yeah, Liverpool. It, Liverpool. It was it, He had, like, the world at his feet at that stage when he was literally, you know, scoring... 20-plus goals in the Ukrainian Premier League, um, some of the best form of his life. And then just it was just at that point, I think, when China was booming and taking on all these slightly older players compared to Teixeira himself. And he opted for the, well, the prolonging of his financial stability, yeah. which is fair enough. Um, people need to provide for their families, etc., and yeah, off he went. And I mean, I think he has—he was quite good in China uh, during his time there. But I mean, that doesn't say much in terms of the fact that he probably could have progressed even further in Europe. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The fact that he's gone to Besiktas, though, I think is you know a logical move back to Europe. He's not that old yet. He's not like in the in the you know he's not thirty-five or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So he's still got. Um, a fair bit of ability in him to, to, you know, 
have a few seasons of Besiktas and who knows where he might end up uh, after that. But yeah, I, I think you'll probably most definitely take to the Turkish Super League to, um, to water. And uh, how was he viewed in, in Ukraine as a, as a footballer? I remember very much back then, like in, let's say, 2014 or something, looking as an outsider. If you looked at Chaktar and they, they had an amazing team, they've always had uh, this amazing team full of Brazilians, less so now, but like, you know, the, the, the glory days of, of Mircea Lucescu with, with Chaktar was basically built upon young Brazilian talents and you could see Chaktar going to go and get some of the biggest talents in Brazil. Uh, they paid quite a pretty penny for those players, but they, they, they always seem to pan out, except for maybe the odd exception. Um, but but looking statistically at what Alex Teixeira was doing back then, even I remember thinking this guy, it reminded me of um, Alex de Souza, who used to play for Fenerbahce, who had the similarly bonkers statistics, where he'd have like 20 goals and, and 15 assists and stuff like that. And how is, is Alex Teixeira seen within the Ukraine, you know, Ukrainian football in general and um, in the history of Shakhtar, where does he rank as one of their uh, top players? I think for many, the fact that he moved to China slightly diminishes his overall all-time greatness just because some of Shakhtar's other players, for example, Fernandinho, William, um, you know, and the likes have gone on to achieve sort of great things with their European side, Western European sides that they went on to visit. And I think that also has an impact on how much of a legend they're seen in Shakhtar because like Shakhtar nurtured that talent and sort of helped them progress to that next stage of the career, which I think plays a big role in the value of where players are seen in terms of the all-time. But based solely on his ability and his statistics and his performances for the club, he's certainly up there as one of their greatest ever Brazilians that they had. I mean, obviously, they've had a lot of Brazilians. I've named two there. They also had Luis Adriano, um, Alano back in the day, Brandao. They've just had quite an eclectic mix. But ultimately, he towards the end of it, well, his sort of second, well, his two seasons before he left the club, those were like really prolific. I mean, 22 appearances in the UPL in 2014-15 and he scored 17 goals. Um, then the season after that, when he actually left in the sort of winter window, he'd scored 22 goals in 15 appearances. And it's like, I think the all-time record for like a UPL goals in a season is set, set by Henrik Mkhitaryan for Shakhtar as well, with like 25 or something. And, you know, had he stayed for the end of that campaign, he very much could have broken that record by, by the sound of it pretty easily and by quite a distance as well. So that's something that we might never see. And if he had done that, that probably would have cemented him in sort of not just Shakhtar folklore, but Ukrainian Premier League folklore as well. Um, with that record, definitely taking the test of time to be broken. Now, what type of a footballer would you say uh, Alex Teixeira is, you know, for people who've never really watched him play? Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners will be in that uh, in that in that position. How would you describe him as a footballer? Like, is he a traditional number ten? Is he more uh, a, a winger? Uh, would you describe him more as a, as a striker, a creator? Uh, what's his key strengths? What makes him so good? And what what are some of his weaknesses? Yeah, so I think he's. I wouldn't say he's an out and out centre forward. That's something. I think he may have molded into that over recent years, but whilst he was at Shakhtar especially, he was more of a an attacking an attacking midfielder. And quite a good one to be playing sort of if you want to play false nine or just in behind a, more of a target man centre forward. 
So what he he's quite good at sort of linking up with play with his with his teammates. He can play on the wings if needed. He's got a lot of pace, which obviously aids his um, his runs. And he likes to travel with the ball a lot. So if you get it into his feet, he'll certainly take um take a go at trying to beat the defender. Um, good at dribbling, and in general, quite good at finishing as well. So he's one of those dynamic players. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go as far as saying like oh he's Lionel Messi or something like that. But that sort of similar position where Messi plays for when where he played for Barca, you know. Not really on the wing most of the time, but sort of just just behind the forwards. And a free roll almost. Yeah, essentially. So if and and if he's fed in through sort of the the midfield, he can he can create quite a lot. So I'd I'd, I'd be quite excited if I was a Besiktas fan in terms of he's he's not your standard sort of set player that he's just going to be either a number nine, a number 10, or or something like that. But he's very versatile across the front line, really. Yeah, I think uh, Besiktas fans are extremely excited. I uh, just went online to try and uh, order a shirt for someone, and uh, <laughs> they're all sold out, basically. Uh, so, uh, yeah, only some small sizes left in Turkey itself, but the European store completely sold out for the home shirt. So. Blimey. Yeah, I think uh, the excitement is real. Um, yeah, I mean, he's one of the most anticipated transfers, I think, for Besiktas in in a very long time. I haven't seen this sort of a clamoring for a player since maybe Ricardo Quaresma back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, Besiktas have had a, a crazy window where they just recently, you know, they, they, they signed Alex Teixeira and just a week later almost... There is the next big signing, and we they've they've signed Michi Pachuai on loan. Yeah. So it's uh, they they're putting together a very uh, on paper strong squad. We'll have to wait and see how that pans out on the pitch, of course, uh, over the course of the season. Um, but uh, yeah, Alexis Serra looks like an amazing signing, despite the fact that he's already 31. But uh, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, he still has a few really good years in him. Uh, it's I know it's difficult for you. Uh, since he's been in China for the last four or five years, but what do you expect? Like, with of course not having seen him too much, I imagine in China. But what what are your expectations for him um, at Besiktas? Well, just mentioning that Michi Batshuayi um, transfer, I think he will work quite well with him. Well, from what I've seen of Michi in the Premier League um, in recent years, and even how he plays for Belgium, he's sort of quite a standoff centre forward. So he'll be able to sort of help with the layoffs and that sort of stuff for uh, Alex Teixeira to sort of come in, you know, run in a bit late, finish those chances on the edge of the box um, and even feed in Mishi, who loves a nice tap-in, as we, as we all know. I think he'll probably hit the ground running. Uh, I'm not really sure of his like recent form in China, but I know... At least the season before that, he was he was in quite prolific form, and he's also got that European experience. He performed in the Champions League when um, Shakhtar were in it. So, and you know that was mainly just in group stage appearances. You know he got you know the odd three four goals in group stage campaigns against quite solid solid sides like such as Real Madrid in the past, um, Porto. Uh, and the like, so you'd ex- I expect him to to you know have a solid first season. Maybe not in terms of the prolificness that we may have seen in the past, where he's getting twenty plus goals, but certainly will be in the mix um, for double digits. And if he doesn't, I think that would be a an ultimate disappointment, not just for me, but for Bishop fans who have got the high hopes, as you've already mentioned. Yeah, for sure. I think hopes are probably unrealistically high, as they usually are with <laughs> these types of transfers. Um, another thing that I wanted to ask is, uh, with these prolific statistics that he has been able to present the last uh, years, well, maybe, maybe even throughout his career, pretty much, like he seems like to be somebody who's cons- very consistent in producing. Um, would you say he 
mainly is one of those players that likes to maybe stat pad a little bit against the smaller teams or is he somebody that also steps up in the big games um a bit of both because fortunately for him to be honest he would the just before he left the UPL in uh, 2015-16 that was just before the decline of the league so I probably would be able to say that if he'd stayed on for another number of seasons he probably would have got even more goals at a slightly easier pace because the league weakens quite significantly since the war started. But he was sort of performing in the in the big prime of the UPL 2012, 2013, 2014, 15. And then just as he was leaving 2015, 16, I think in general, he he definitely performed in the Classicos against Dynamo Cave. And those are like sort of the biggest matches of the calendar in the league and like I already said he he was getting the goals in the Champions League and, and the Europa League so it's it's one of those that if, if he's given the opportunity you know you should hope he he gets off to quite a quite a solid start from from early on because it doesn't I think it took him a while to get going at Shakhtar but that was more because it was sort of like his first uh, European side he was a lot younger it took him a while to get into the team but now he's sort of a ready-made star player he'll get straight into that starting 11 and hopefully all will go well yeah plus he has some old friends uh, mainly Joseph de Souza who he still knows from his time in Brazil and they're good friends um, and that'll definitely help him settle. One mm-hmm. more, one more question that doesn't really tie into Alex Teixeira, and maybe you won't have that much memory of this player. But um, Besiktas are also linked with a move for uh, Fernando Lucas Martins, who played for Shakhtar for a couple of seasons, but he he left pretty quickly. I think he went to Russia afterwards to uh, Spartak Moscow or something. But do you have any recollection of him? Yeah, I remember him for a couple of seasons. He was. He was a bit of a fringe player at the time. Uh, he, he sort of slotted in at, in midfield. He was sort of not billed as the Fernandinho replacement, but it was at the same time when I think Fred was starting to come through as well. And, you know, judging, putting Fred's Man United, you know, up and down career so far, Fred was a great player for Shakhtar whilst he was there. So... Fernando played the odd game, but he never really was able to make a name for himself due to the competition in that position. Um, I think he was he was quite a good tackler. Um, although I do remember, I, I seem to think he 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 was a bit of a hothead or um, slightly careless challenges. So I don't know. I, I ultimately I don't think his his leaving of Shakhtar was like the biggest loss or devastation for them uh, when he went. But I'm yeah. not too sure of his career since, so I, I, I can't really comment <laughs> on that. I, I think he, I mean, I think if you go from Shakhtar to Russia, it usually kind of means like Shakhtar, I mean, that's how I see it at least, like Shakhtar probably didn't see the biggest in him. Because I think if you're, a big talent at Shakhtar, you move to to the Premier League or to Europe at least, and yeah, so, or Shakhtar yeah. doesn't let you go. Exactly, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. he he only played there for like two or three seasons, I think, and then like left in two thousand and eleven. Um, so I, I can see how you know so, someone like uh, Fred being there, uh, but I mean, doesn't necessarily, of course, mean he's a bad player. I, I think he was pretty good in Russia, from what I've heard, uh, mm-hmm. and he then earned a move to China as well. So you know the Chinese. Five, four or five years ago, they uh, they did go after uh, yeah. good, good players. So, yeah, well, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Besiktas have had an agreement in place with him, but they don't really have uh, room right now in the squad due to fo- the foreign limit and stuff like that. So he might be an option, but uh, it's, it's not a certainty at this point. But I just uh, thought I would quickly pick your brain about him, see if you remembered anything of him. But uh, yeah. Thank you very much, Andrew, for your insights on uh, Alex Teixeira. I very much appreciate it, and I hope our listeners will have learned a little bit uh, new about uh, our new number 10 that will be playing with uh, number 90 on his shirt this season. (laughs) (laughs) 
So thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, you can follow Andrew on Twitter. He is uh, under Zoria Londonsk. And uh, Andrew, you also have a, a documentary coming out soon. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, maybe? Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, currently, no defined date as when it will be released, but I've just finished a bumper road trip around Ukraine with my podcast team um, where we podcast on Ukraine plus football. Um, we've been around every single professional Ukrainian club in the country, which is over 6,200 kilometers worth of um, being on the road. It took us just over two weeks. And yeah, we got to visit all the pro sides, 62, 63 clubs, met a fair amount of the people there, got to learn a, a lot more about the state of football in Ukraine, which is currently in its 30th year of independence from uh, when the Soviet Union fell. There's been a lot of positives. Obviously, there was a decline since 2014, but things seem to be on the up. So, yeah, once I get through editing and uh, finalising everything, um, Hopefully it should make some good material for everyone to enjoy and maybe find out a bit more about the lesser known size of Ukrainian football in particular. Definitely looking forward to seeing that. Uh, also, your recent uh, episode with uh, Sergei Rebrov is something I can uh, highly recommend. It was a really fun interview to listen to. Uh, former uh, Ukrainian great, of course, uh, international, also played for Fenerbahce briefly um, and now uh, building a successful coaching career. So uh, definitely uh, go and check out uh, the podcast as well. And uh, once again, thank you, Andrew. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you again uh, next week. Yes. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you very much, Khan. You can follow Andrew at Zoria Londonsk. Z-O-R-Y-A-L-O-N-D-O-N-S-K. You can follow Andrew himself at Andrew Todos, Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W, Todos, T-O-D-O-S. Uh, and Andrew, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your last name. Um, nonetheless, that was a really great interview. Thanks to both of you guys. And quickly, let me just pass the baton right along to, again, Khan, interviewing, this time, Tim Vilant. Um, Tim is of the Kick Rush podcast and Belga Sport, where he's a documentary maker. Um, yeah, without further ado, Tim Vilant and Khan Bayazid. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Black Eagles podcast. Today, I have a special treat for you. We're going to go a little bit more in-depth on our new signing, Michi Bachuai. And for that, I have an English football expert from the Belgium television Um Tim Wieland is joining me right now. He's also the host of the Kick and Rush podcast and also a documentary maker uh, for Belga uh, Sport, uh, I believe, sorry. That's correct. Um, so thank you for joining us, Tim. And you are, of course, uh, a commentator and you watch a lot of, of matches in the Premier League, but you're also a big fan of, of, of English football in general. So you've watched quite a bit of Michi Bachuai over the last couple of years, right? That's correct. I've, I've watched him play when he plays because the last year, I must say, he hasn't been playing a lot the last half year, I must say. In the beginning of the season when he was uh, lent to uh, Crystal Palace, he, he played in the beginning of the season. But since, I think, February, uh, I don't think he has played one single uh, full game. So... Uh, I haven't been able to, to watch him play the, the, these last six months. And what do you think we can uh, attribute to that? Because if we look back at his career, uh, Bacuay has scored goals pretty much everywhere he's gone. But then these, this last season at Crystal Palace is the first time really that we see that, that it just hasn't worked out for him. Uh, it's, it's difficult for him. Uh, you have to pick a club that suits your game. Uh, with Michi, uh, he he always wanted to stay at Chelsea to begin with, because that was uh, the the club of his heart. So when he moved from uh, Marseille to to Chelsea, he was overjoyed, and he wanted to succeed. He wanted to prove himself uh, for Chelsea. Um, it it didn't work out 
immediately. So he was lent out to uh, a couple of clubs, you know, uh, Dortmund, uh, Valencia, uh, but also Premier League club in uh, Crystal Palace twice now. Uh, they have a different uh, style of play, Crystal Palace. It's uh, under uh, Hutchinson, the, the manager. It was, it was not really a dominant kind of game and a style of play. I mean, when you see him mm -hmm. playing for Belgium, for instance, uh, Belgium are a, a very dominant, uh, they have a very dominant style of play. They, they always have the ball. They, they um, how do you say it? Uh, not only in possession, but uh, they have, uh, they create a lot of, of chances. They, have, they are offensive as well. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so when, Michi plays for Belgium, um, not against the biggest teams, but against normal opposition. He scores. He has 22 goals for Belgium, yeah. which is a lot. That's a lot. You, you can't find, I think, there aren't 10 players who who have scored 20 goals for Belgium. Yeah, I, 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 so. I don't recall correctly. I think Wesley Song has around that same number, and then Milan Penza. But those are already some of the bigger names we're naming. And of course, only I think Romelu Lukaku is really ahead with head and shoulders. But, but of course, he's on a completely other level than anything that Belgium has had in the last 25 years. Yeah, he's he's different level. Yeah, he's definitely a different level. He's, he's the best striker... Belgium has ever had, but mm -hmm. then with with a big margin to the second one in the, in in that list. Yeah, yeah, I mean we we can go back really far, maybe, uh, but yeah, I, I I can't really think of one myself. Uh, just no, still, still, still. I mean, he's probably it's head and shoulders above yeah. anybody else uh, who's played for Belgium. Mm -hmm. As as a striker, as a, as a goal scorer. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. but I mean, right now he's. Up there with Robert Lewandowski and and yeah, who else? Uh, yes, top of Europe. Yeah, He's exactly, really exactly, Europe. exactly. But, um, but Michi, Michi is good. Mm -hmm. Michi scores a lot of goals for Belgium, but that's because we have this dominant style of play and we, we have this this uh, two wingers who 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 provide balls for him. You have midfield players like Kevin De Bruyne who who can uh, lay it on a platter for you. Mm -hmm. uh, that's Part of the reason why why Romelu has scored so many goals goals for Belgium, the, the same goes for for Michi Bacuayu. And if if Michi plays for Crystal Palace, you don't have those players mm -hmm. who provide you with uh, with the, the genius ball or uh, to to make him stay in uh, in the in the eighteen yard box and 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 score. Mm -hmm. No, they have. They play counter football. They play. They don't have the ball, yeah. so that's totally different. It's 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 a strange choice for for Michi as well to to play for Crystal Palace. But it was or Crystal Palace or be on a bench and and never play for Chelsea. So he chose he chose for to play for for Crystal Palace again. Mm -hmm. Well, Besiktas were already interested in him last year, if I remember correctly. Uh, we of course. Uh, there's a really good friend of his that he knows from his time at uh, Marseille, uh, George Kevin Nkudu, who uh, he was tied with back then and I think played a role now in, in getting him uh, to Besiktas. How much do you think that the Champions League football has played a part in his decision? Yeah, it could be. Could be. Uh, Michi has always been a guy. Um, I visited him uh, two years ago, I think, when he was still at Chelsea. Uh, he's always been a guy who needs uh, a friendly environment, so to say. That means he needs to be supported. He needs to feel at home. He's he's a very funny guy. He needs to be at ease in the club where he is. So that means he needs people around him, friends yeah. or, or colleagues who are, who are good for him. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he had that at Chelsea for part of it. That's why he wanted to stay there. But if he can find it in another club uh, where people appreciate him, but also can, uh, how do you say? Um, Nurture him? Yeah, yeah. And laugh with him and, mm -hmm. and do something else and only play football. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then, then he, will be, he will fit right in. He, he will be at home. Yeah. So that, uh, Champions League, Besiktas, very important. Yeah, sportively. 
very mm-hmm. important. The fact that they that he hasn't that they haven't bought him means that he can go back to Chelsea, where part of his heart still is. But he wants to prove himself again, like he tried to prove himself at Dortmund, like he tried to prove himself at Valencia. And sorry for him, but Crystal Palace was not the right choice for him. But he'll try to to be a striker. And if you're dominant, like Besiktas, if you're dominant, you will provide him with goals. He will score for you. So, how would you describe Michi Bacua as a as a as a forward? You know, like Lukaku is a, is a big target man who can go into the depth. Uh, what type of a player is Michi Bacua? Technically, he's very good. He's got a a very good uh, dribble. He he can uh, he can move past uh, defenders. Uh, also, when when there's not a lot of room, uh, so like when you're in the the 18 yard box and and you have a lot of defenders he can still find the space to to, to yeah to, to score let's say that he's not the same type as as Romelu Romelu is is he always makes the the right run he he runs towards the 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 place where you're going to put the ball yeah yeah, yeah. and he was criticized early on in his career for not being yeah. that good in the tight space correct that's correct he changed a lot he he learned a lot. He watched a lot of movies of himself as well. <laughs> uh, I don't think Mitchie will do that because Mitchie is uh, kind of lazy mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to, compared to to Romelu. So he he wants to enjoy himself. That means he doesn't make the right runs all of the time. But if he if he makes the right runs and and if you give him the ball, he can do something with it. So that means he's. Not as good as as Romelu because he he won't be at, at in the right spot all of the time. But when he does, when he gets a chance, he he will put it away. He has this really uh, yeah goal scoring ability. I can't really call it anything else. Yeah, in the presentation video, they they, they kind of took the the words that I wanted to use, and I'm like, damn it, that's exactly what I was going to say. The the fox in the box, like they like to say in in, in the fox UK. And yeah. a, a poacher, kind of. Is that what you would agree with? Yeah, yeah. That's if, if the opportunity comes, he will take advantage. That's that, that's really that that's something. Yeah, fox in the box, really good. Yeah. And do you think that maybe the, the little bit of the the street footballer that that he started off playing football in in the park, I guess, like many kids did in Brussels. Uh, do you think that never really completely uh, got out of him? That's that's his whole character that's why it's it's not only as a footballer he's like that he's as a human being he's like that that means he's playful that means some coaches or managers will uh, react to that because they can't stand it it's it's too playful for them yeah i, I think it will uh it will work out quite well uh <laughs> for him at Besiktas. <laughs> because yeah, he some, he's sometimes even in training he's so playful you should you should say Mishi mm-hmm. stop doing that <laughs> concentrate concentrate on what we're doing we're trying to do something you always have uh, even when you're in, in your youth teams you have some players you, you I don't know you you have to take them by the ear and say come on yeah my son is kind of like that. Uh, he's. Yeah, we, we, all know, we all know those types of players. Well, Mishi is the same. Mishi, Mishi will come play with his, his SpongeBob uh, shorts. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We've uh, we've we've seen a little bit of that already uh, of his, his love for SpongeBob. Um, <laughs> in my research, at least, I came across it. I didn't know it going in. Um, it's pretty pretty funny. He's a couple of years younger than I am, so I kind of missed that boat myself, the SpongeBob train. But I guess uh, he grew up with it. Um, yeah, I know that, that all sounds really exciting. Also, just the, the way you describe him as a character, because Besiktas our team last season. I I would like to think that they very much won the season based on the team chemistry and the, and the character, because there was a really good click within the within yeah. the team with uh, Fabrice Sakala, former. Anderlecht player, of course, yeah, but yeah. Uh, mainly George Kevin Nkudu, Valentin Rosier, and then Vincent Abubakar, who uh, Bachuai is replacing now. 
And yeah. they had a really good bond, and they were constantly fooling around in training, but in a, in a playful manner. And it was, you know, the coach liked it. Uh, even uh, to an extent, I would imagine encouraged it because it really enhanced the team chemistry and the spirit within the locker room. And uh, I, I think in that regard, Besiktas probably could not have found a better replacement because there was talk of Diego Costa, but. You know, Costa is a fantastic player. I think if you can get him back to fitness, that's that that would be a great signing. But you always have that combustible element yeah. in the locker room, and with Bachuai, I I like to think that uh, that's at least not the case. No, no, it it is, and he, and he is a better player than uh, Abubakar. Abubakar is good, but uh, I think Michi Bachuai is 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 as good, if not better. The the thing that Abubakar really might have a, a little bit of a, a head on him maybe is the the hold up play i'm kind of yeah, thinking perhaps. but yeah, um that's true physical strength yeah. uh holding off your your defender waiting for for people to yeah that's not that's not really Michi's game yeah. is it i think abubakar would have been perfect for the for the premier league honestly if he was maybe a couple of centimeters taller because they like to look at height there yes. uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but of course you know shoddy knees yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, Tim, one last question then for you before I let you go. Uh, wh- what are your expectations of uh, of uh, Bachuai at Besiktas? I think it was, uh, he will succeed, of course. Uh, but it's only for one season. So mm-hmm. if you get him as relaxed as he can be, but in the meantime, get him to concentrate on, on what he has to do, he will try to shine in the Champions League as well. So he will have, uh, how do you say, um, the expectations will be high for him, but he will have his own expectations because he's still thinking he's not at the top level. He's not the top level player he want, he wants to be. Mm-hmm. So I think he will be um, motivated to have a good season there. Uh, score lots of goals. That, that's I'm, I'm really I'm pretty sure of it actually. Well, we can only hope for that. Besiktas have been spoiled in the last eight or so years with amazing strikers. Dembaba was the first. Uh, we of course had uh, Vincent Abubakar, like I mentioned, we had him twice, but also Mario Gomez. Uh, Alvaro Negredo was less of a of a hit, but he also brought some uh, nice memories at least. But uh, hopefully Michi Bacuai can bring many more to come. And who knows, he may fall in love with the club like Valentin Rosier or uh, Rashid Ghazal did. And, uh, could be. Yeah, it could it may, be. It may extend the, the stay, but Chelsea wants a lot of money for him still. I know, but and still it's a beautiful city, so Michi would, would, would like that, I think. Beautiful and uh, chaotic. <laughs> yeah, typical. <laughs> for sure, just like the country. Anyway, thank you very much, Tim. Very much You're appreciated. Welcome. You're welcome, and, Good luck in uh, all your uh, future endeavors with uh, with 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 Belga Sport and with uh, with the VRT and with uh, Play Sports and everything you're doing and of course your Kick and Rush podcast. Super, thank you. Yes, once again. Uh, just great interviews. Thank you so much to Khan Bayazid. Of course, you can follow him at Razarian, R-A-Z-Z-E-R-I-A-N. You can follow Tim Vilant at Tim Anton 13, T-I-M-A-N-T-O-N 13, one, three, uh, for folks who are numerologically challenged, <laughs> numerically challenged. Um, uh, you can also follow him at the Kick Rush Podcast at Kick Rush podcast, one word. Uh, and to go back to the other fella, if you can follow Andrew Todosh at Andrew T O D O S. Uh, and of course, you can follow him at the Zoria Londonsk um, podcast at Z O R Y A L O N D O N S K. Of course, follow us at Eagles underscore podcast. Follow myself at Sir underscore rights underscore a lot. Follow us on Instagram, Black Eagles Podcast, one word. And of course, stay tuned for more. We will be back with so much more. Um, Of course, we do not have a match this coming weekend, but that's good because it gives us the chance to present to you uh, a preview of some of our opponents. Um, I've got a a podcaster from 
uh, uh, a supporter of Boris to Dortmund, and he does a podcast with them. Uh, I've got some an, a fellow from Ajax as well. I'm still looking for a sporting Lisbon guy. I, I, I've started communication with one. I, we've sort of lost touch, but we shall see how uh, how that pans out in the end. But certainly two out of three ain't bad. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll sort of dig around for someone who knows a bit about sporting. But so regardless of all of that, because uh, that's all to come up ahead, uh, what goes without saying now, obviously, you know, welcome Miralem Pjanic. Uh, it should be a pleasure to have you play with this talented squad. I've never in my whole life as a Besiktas fan felt like we won a transfer window to the extent that we did getting just a whole uh, wide array of fantastic players um, of uh, not just fantastic players but like for the right price often um, or you know loaning but like in situations where you might want to loan them and give them a chance to to prove themselves or see if they want to stick around even you know if this is where they want to play which we've seen again successfully sort of pan out with Valentin Rosier and, and Rashid Ghezal so just to sort of, again, go through the list of what we've got here, right? Sally Uchan, Mehmet Otopal, Kenan Karaman, Valentin Rosier, Alex Teixeira, Rashid Ghezal, Mert Gunok, Mishi Bachuai, John Bozdoan, Umut Medash, Francisco Montero, Miralem Pjanic, right? The only two guys who are sort of iffy as far as whether they come back next year are Mishi Bachuai and Miralem Pjanic. Um, both of them are probably outside of our price range, if we're going to be honest. One of them is definitely outside of our price range. Um, Bachuai, who knows? You know, maybe he could finagle his way to us just uh, by indicating how much he wants to come back in the way that we've seen it. You know, again, as it's panned out with a couple of these guys uh, who we love already, and you know, Rashid Gazal coming off his best game of the season um, in this last match, played really well. Obviously, um, against uh, Fatih Karagumru. So, you know, hopefully he can carry that form on. Uh, Rosier, you know, again, still solidly defending. Hopefully not injured. We'll look out for more from him. But, yeah, just the, the, the guys who have come in this window, phenomenal work by the board. You got to say it. Um, just great work financially, not locking us in with anyone who's too expensive. For those guys, they're all, you know, they have the option of sticking around. And if they do, I suppose, you know, they could take slight pay cuts uh, even, you know, to make it work for us, given that we're probably going to have to shell out more than we'd want to for uh, transfer fees. And again, that will obviously depend on success this season. We're going to need money to buy those guys which means we're going to need success and again on paper why wouldn't we get why wouldn't we have it we have doubled up at every position now uh, with quality depth um, on great deals you know this is like the core this could be a core for years to come frankly uh, by, by years I mean you know two or three right let's not go crazy here but there's a lot of pieces in this team that you can see flourishing with us for a long time. But it all remains to be seen. It's got to happen on the pitch, right? On, nothing happens on paper, sadly. Uh, but just a, a great array of players. Um, fantastic depth of, of quality that we've provided and, and just sprinkling all around the pitch of, of talent. Uh, you love to see it. Didn't even really talk about Francisco Montero. It's great to have him back. I mean, I, I did mention him actually in the last podcast, just as something that was possibly going to happen. It happened, right? And it happened at a really good deal, like less than a mil. It's like 875k, I think, um, for the for the buy for the the actual fee. And we only got 50% of his rights, which means um, whatever we sell him for down the line, you know, we're not going to get that much of. But you know, again, he's 22. Uh, uh, he's, I think. He could be something of a long-term project, and we could see this contract out and then re-sign him down the line, and, and none of that fee will even be relevant, you know? Uh, that's how young he is, and I think talented enough, but, like, because we know he's, like, our third central defender, he might stay enough under the radar that we hang on to him for a little while, certainly until he grabs a starting role when, when Wellington or Vida move on, whether that be, you know, getting sold or retiring right because they're in their 30s 32 i think 
I think in both cases, actually, they're both 32. Um, but so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say other than, uh, and this is actually really important. Let's go, Besiktas! Peace out, everyone. See you for episode 185 next with, uh, we shall see who. Uh, be, be ready. Stay on your toes. It could be anything. Uh, but it'll probably be a preview episode for um, one of our Champions League rivals, to be honest. Um, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, I mean, it could be a, who knows, could be a Pianist episode. Certainly we'll get Khan's Corner back. I mean, we didn't need a Khan's Corner because this was basically a Khan's episode. But, um, yeah, next next time, who knows what you could be in store for. Everything's possible here at the Black Eagle Podcast. See you, see you later, folks. Besiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.